Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello, friends. I hope you all are ready to learn a lot today because you're about to. I am so excited about this interview. It is Dr. Yale Jaffe. I first was introduced to her um, in one of the trainings that I did a few years back and have sort of been enamored with her for a while. She's just really, really, really brilliant and is an incredible entrepreneur amongst other things. And she reached out to us about coming on the show and I had like a total fangirl moment of, oh my goodness, I love her. I love her work. I love her message. I know you all will too about how our genes could potentially influence um, our how we interact with energy. So how we consume energy, how we burn energy, um, how we store energy as fat, how we expend energy, all of that good stuff she'll talk about. She was part of the team that created the very first nutrigenomic genetic test way back in 2000. So she's been doing this for 20 years and she has now co-founded the nutrigenetic startup, uh, 3X and she'll talk about that test and how you can get your hands on it if you're interested. She's also the adjunct professor teaching nutrigenomics at Rutgers University. So she knows her stuff. And the reason that I want to highlight all of that is because there might be some things that you hear in this interview that go against maybe some other things that you've heard in the past. And always remember where you're getting your information from because Dr. Yale is a clinician and she's also a researcher and that packs a very powerful punch. And when I'm thinking about where I get my information from, it is always those two things combined. It's the research, but it's also how we apply that research to actual human beings. Um, And she does that really, really well. I do want to give you a heads up about the audio. I got this weird message before we started recording that her mic was funky and it could affect the the audio. And I let her know that. And she's like, well, this is the only mic I got. So this is this is what we're going with. And her attitude was kind of like, hey, we're two working moms stuck at home without professional recording studios. We'll just do the best we can. And I'm saying that, I'm passing that on to all my other perfectionists out there because I feel like we need to adopt more of that attitude. I'm like, no wonder why she has excelled so much in her career because she doesn't sweat the small stuff like audio. So I was able to edit it. It, The audio was totally jacked up. I was able to edit it. So um, she's crystal clear, which is the most important thing. I sound like I'm in a fishbowl, but who cares about that? Anyway, 
Y'all will love it. Before I let you in on the interview, I do have to shout out the podcast sponsor because without the podcast sponsor, hey, guess what? I wouldn't have a podcast. I wouldn't be able to bring you these hot tips from some of the best brains in the industry. So shouting out BioCult today. BioCult makes my favorite everyday probiotic. I only partner with companies that I know, like, and trust and use myself in my own family. So everybody wants to know about probiotics. Here we go. They're super great price point. I personally like the Boosted product. They have different products. My favorite is the Boosted just because it's higher potency and it also has nice broad spectrum. So lots of different um, lots of different bacteria. So highly recommend that. Of course, you can save, save some coin if you use my code FUNK20. You'll save 20% linked in the show notes. So check them out. Now here is Dr. Yale Jaffe. Okay, welcome Yale. I'm truly, truly, truly honored to have you on the show. I don't always say that, but this is an interview that I've been really excited for and looking forward to because this is all brand new stuff to my audience. We've never discussed most of this before, so I'm really, really excited to tuck in. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Erin. I'm, I'm super happy to be here, and I'm particularly excited that I'm your first guest in Nutrigenomics. So hope we can learn a well, lot. <laughs> if anyone was going to be the first person to talk about it, it was going to be you. That is for sure. That You were the first per- This is how I got introduced to this concept was through you. So okay. I'm very, very, no very pressure. excited. <laughs> so I think it makes the most sense to tiptoe our way in. So things aren't way over everyone's head because it, nutrigenomics is such a complex topic. So maybe the, a good place to start is even just with the the concept of epigenetics, that is something that I've talked about on the show, but not at great length. So this, this idea that certain things can influence our genes, maybe we just start there. Well, I'm, I'm, if you don't mind, I'm actually going to start with genetics and then go to epigenetics because um, yeah, it makes more sense in the kind of evolution of man or woman. So, so I think once you understand genetics, it's much easier to understand epigenetics. So if you don't mind, I'm going to go back to the basics of genetics and then we'll, we'll work our way across. Perfect. Okay. Well, let me launch in. So let's talk about um, genetics. So we, um, as humans are, have this code, this, the sequence that sits in every single cell of our body. And it's really just like an alphabet. So like English has got 26 letters. Genetics has got four letters, A-C-T-G, and a whole language is written with these letters and wound up and put into our cells. And this code that we have in our cells is our blueprint. It tells everything about us. Obviously, all the stuff we inherited from our parents and our grandparents, but it really tells how we exist in the world. And what I mean by that is, imagine that Every human is 99.9% identical in their, in their code, Nine, which is really, really close. But 0.1%, we have a different sequence, a different spelling. So in some, it might be an A and in others might be a G. At about three to four million places in our DNA, we're going to have a, what I call a spelling change. And what's so extraordinary about these spelling changes is they define who we are in the world. And by that, I mean not just the color of our eyes and the color of our hair and how tall we are and, you know, what our fingers look like, 
But how we respond to our world, how we respond to the food that we eat, how do we respond to the exercise we do, how do we respond to trauma and stress? So genetics defines through these spelling changes that we inherit, how we respond to the world around us. And that is written in our code. And we can analyze that, right? So we can do a, a swab, like a, a cheek swab, get some DNA out of a cell, analyze it, and we can look for spelling changes, not all of them, but some of them. And by finding out what your spelling change is or isn't, we can understand something about you. So I always equate genetics to self-knowledge. Understanding your own blueprint gives you self-knowledge about who you are and how you exist in the world. But that genetic sequence you are born with and you die with. So during your lifetime, your sequence code doesn't change. And these spelling changes, often you'll hear them talked about as um, polymorphisms or SNPs or gene variants or gene variations. Um, and this really just defines why are we different from each other and why do we respond to the world in a different way? So that is like the most simplistic way of understanding genetics. Okay. Okay. All right. And I noticed that you didn't use the word mutation. You used a lot <laughs> well of other spotted. words. Well spotted, Erin. That is very smart of you. I intentionally did not use the word mutation. Now, the reality is there is absolutely no difference between a mutation, a spelling change, a gene variant, a polymorphism, or a SNP. The reason I don't use it is because the way genetic testing has been portrayed is that a mutation is something that is devastating. It's something that will kill you. It's something that'll cause a disease. It's something like a defect. But the reality is that only a very, very few of these gene variants are that powerful to cause a disease. And I mean few. But 99.9999% of gene variants that we have in our body do not cause disease in that way. And they're not devastating for us. But they do change how our body works. So the reason I don't use mutation. It's not because it's an incorrect word, but because the connotation is so negative that it makes people think that if I do a genetic test, I'm going to find out I'm going to die. But actually, that is the furthest of the truth of what genetics actually teaches us. And you and I were talking a little bit before the show, and I had brought up MTHFR, and we might I might be jumping the gun with this, and you might want to save it for later on in the discussion, but I think that that is exactly what people walk away from with the MTHFR, they're, they're like, you know, well, my clients come to me and they're like, well, I got, I got the MTHFR. Yeah, I got, got the so like MTHFR, yeah. Well, I've got the MTHFR defect is one that I often hear. Yes, so, so I yes. think it's a perfect time to talk about MTHFR. So for those that, that aren't familiar, MTHFR is one gene. It's one gene in our body. And remember, we have around 25,000 of these genes. It's one. And its response, it works in a, it works in a um, pathway called methylation, which is really one of our core processes for looking after our DNA, repairing our DNA, making new DNA. Really important process. And one of the genes that are involved in this process, or one of the enzymes, because remember, genes make proteins. And a kind of a protein is an enzyme. It could be a hormone. It could be a, a, a neurotransmitter right, is MTHFR. And MTHFR is very involved with a B vitamin called folate, and it's very important in this process. Now, I have been studying MTHFR since I started in nutrigenomics, which was 20 years ago, and it was one of the 
early genes that we started studying. So it's one of the genes that we have a lot of data around, a lot of data. And because of that, when genetics started becoming so popular and landed up on the front page of Newsweek and Time magazine and CNN, everyone jumped onto this MTHFR story. And in fact, there's been a couple of um, people in the marketplace whose name I won't mention who have built an entire business out of this idea that if you could just test one gene, which is the MTHFR gene, you could find everything else about the individual. You could know everything, all the diseases they're going to get, what they should eat, and most importantly, what the supplements are they should take. So they took the MTHFR gene, they stuck it on this immense pedestal, and they made lots of money out of recommending diet plans and supplements. And in fact, it's, it's my opinion that this MTHFR syndrome that did more to undermine the field of genetics than pretty much anything. You know, when genetics was, the human genome was drafted in 2003, we all had this dream that genetics would give us insights about ourselves, that we would get the best diet and lifestyle, that we would, you know, live longer, healthier, better quality of life. And then it was kind of like hijacked, in my opinion, by MTHFR, where everyone said, oh, one gene, one out of 25,000, and I know everything. So what we're trying to do is actually to, to reverse that damage and say, you know what? It's one gene variant, one gene variant of three to four million. Yes, it is definitely interesting. And yes, I tested in my genetic test. And yes, I definitely consider it when I'm working with a patient. But by itself, it's just one. And there are another 134 that I want to look at before I have a conversation with you about how to personalize your diet and lifestyle. Thank you so much. That is so helpful. And I think that's going to soothe down a lot of the listeners who may have found out that they have this, this variant and kind of carry it around like they're cross to bear. Oh, gosh, no. It's, it couldn't be further from the truth. The only thing it might tell you is that you might need to take a little bit more of what a methylated folate B vitamins uh, complex supplement. That's, and, and even then, I don't even believe that because you want to know what are all the other genes doing. So, so MTHFR works with a whole bunch of other genes and they all impact this amazing process called methylation. So when I'm making a decision with the patient on what to do, what supplement to give them, I'm going to look at all the genes in that pathway, see what's happening to them, look at the spelling change, and then I'm going to make a decision. But I'm never, ever, ever going to make a decision on one gene, not MTHFR and not any gene. Well, I know that a lot of functional medicine practitioners are running that test kind of in isolation, just that test um, and kind of that test alone when they're looking at genes. Not everybody, but it's very, very common. And I just want to underscore and highlight the fact that um, you are one of the leading experts and authorities on the field of nutrigenomics, how we bridge genetics to nutrition, how we eat. And so this is coming like straight from the horse's <laughs> mouth, even if it kind of goes against what you've heard in the past, we're hearing this information from kind of from the top down, right? So yeah. that's, I think that's an important thing to highlight here. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've put my head on the chopping block for this one and, 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 you know, it, it's not just about MTHFR. The lesson is much more important than that. And I do, I do think functional medicine was very involved and supportive of the MTHFR drama. But I do think a lot of functional medicine practitioners are seeing the light. And, you know, I'll go so far to say is that, you know, here's the story. In 2017, so I've been building genetic tests in 2000. First company was the first ever genetic test built for nutrition in 2000. 
And three, three plus years ago, I sat down and I looked at all the tests that I built and all the tests that I'm in the marketplace. And I was absolutely appalled to see that even though we were 17 years down the line, we were still building genetic tests where we were giving a single recommendation, be it a diet or lifestyle or a supplement, based on a single gene. And I had been part of that journey. And when you look at biochemistry, which is how your body works, the chemistry of your body, there is no ways that one gene is powerful enough to drive a recommendation. So one of the things I learned three, four years ago, which was a major pivot for me and a real learning, was that the only way to really understand the impact of genetics, not the risk, the impact of genetics, was to group genes together, group these spelling changes together, understand how they were impacting these biochemical, these chemical processes in our body, and then try to figure out how should this change what I'm doing with my patient. So even for me, who has been deeply immersed in this industry and as a scientist for, for, for 20 years, it was only three, four years ago that I realized that while I hadn't climbed onto the MTHFR bandwagon, I was still falling into this trap of thinking that these spelling changes by themselves were powerful enough to die. So if you ever come across a genetic test where they are measuring your genetics and they're making a supplement recommendation for each gene or a diet recommendation, you've got to think to yourself, it's just not that powerful. Yes, it's very informative to the practitioner. And that's why I only work with practitioners. I do not sell my genetic test to the consumer directly because genetics is one part of who you are. But there's so much more to who you are. There's genetics, there's your diet, your lifestyle, your exposure, there's your history, there's your exposure to toxins and mold, there's your um, emotional world, connection, spirituality. And only a practitioner can say, who are you genetically? And then who are you in all these things? And then the really brilliant practitioner puts that all together and says, now I know who you are. Now I can make really good recommendations for you. I love that. Um, and I, I think we can talk about, you know, you just mentioned a lot of different environmental and lifestyle factors that influence our bodies. Can they also influence our gene expression? Right. Now we're talking about epigenetics. So oh. now, we, now we've arrived at epigenetics. Okay. So genetics is our code and our blueprint. You're born with your diet and it gives us self-knowledge. So I use the terms insight and action. Our code, our blueprint gives us insight on who we are and how we respond to the world and where we should focus based on that understanding. So if I look at, at your genes and I find that you're not optimally detoxifying toxins from your body, it's I have an insight about you, right? Now, the interesting thing is, what is the action? What are we going to do about it? Because we're not going to change your gene sequence. That's called CRISPR and that's for another time. We need to do something with your diet and your lifestyle and your daily choices that is going to impact that into the world of epigenetics. So epigenetics is a bit more complicated, but quite extraordinary. Imagine there's this molecule. It doesn't matter what, it's just a molecule. And when this molecule attaches to a gene, it basically switches on the gene or switches off the gene. So this one molecule in your body is so powerful that it's able, now what do I mean by switching on and switching off? 
Switching on and switching off means that the gene will be switched on to make the protein. So I have a protein for MTHFR, but I need the enzyme MTHFR. Um, so I switch on the protein, it makes the enzyme, and the enzyme is able to go and help methylation happen in the body. Okay. So somehow that gene's got to know that it's time to make that enzyme. Let me give you another example, which is way easier than methylation. So you wake up in the morning and you head off to the coffee shop and you decide you're going to have a latte. And in this latte is a whole lot of milk with the, the carbohydrate sugar called lactose. And as humans, we need to digest lactose. And some of us are better at it and some of us are worse. So when I consume my lactose, my body now senses that there's a whole lot of lactose being dumped into my system that I need to digest. And there's an enzyme called lactase whose job it is to break down lactose, to make it digestible so that our latte doesn't make us feel ill. So the moment that signal, which was the ingestion of the, of the, lact of the, of the latte comes in, we send a signal to the gene to, the, to switch on. And the gene is the lactase enzyme gene. And we switch it on. It makes a protein, which is the lactase enzyme. The lactase enzyme breaks down the lactose and we feel fantastic. Now, this is where insight and action comes in. In some people, they have a spelling change in that lactase gene. So when the, the gene is switched on to make the enzyme, it doesn't make enough of the enzyme. And that's why some people are lactose intolerant and can't break it down and some can. So that's why knowing the, knowing the insight, the sequence is important because we must understand the expression. So what do epigenetic things do? Epi means outside of genetics. It's all the things that aren't the code. So every single thing we do during the day, every minute of the day is an epigenetic influence. So imagine the kind of latte you drink, whether you woke up in the morning and picked up your phone to read your emails or whether you woke up and meditated for 30 minutes, will switch on and switch off different genes in your body. Every time you make a decision around what you eat, how you exercise, how you manage stress, how you go to bed at night, what you do before you go to bed, you are 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, switching on and switching off genes and that drives your body. So epigenetics is about gene expression or gene behavior, and genetics is about what did I inherit. To really be an amazing practitioner, you want to put these two pieces of information together. And the reason why you want to do that is that the amazing power of functional nutrition or of nutrition sits in the ability to switch on and switch off genes intentionally. Okay, I'll give you an example. Right? Yep. So imagine now I did your genetic test and I find out that you have spelling changes in the detoxification pathway. So you're not as efficient at detoxifying toxins from your body as we would like you to be. So now I want to do something. I can't change a gene sequence, but I want to switch on genes that will help you detoxify. So there is a, a group of vegetables called the brassicas or the cruciferous vegetables. And in this family of vegetables are broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kohlrabi. Broccoli sprouts being the best of them. 
When I consume those vegetables, they have a very special compound that makes something called sulforaphane. Sulforaphane is one of the most powerful molecules from a plant that will switch on all the genes we need to detoxify toxins out of our body. So now I'm not just using nutrition to prevent deficiencies. I'm not even using nutrition to plug holes. I'm using nutrition as an epigenetic mechanism. I'm using nutrition like the power of medicine. And this is where food as medicine really comes in. Because if I can switch off genes or switch off. So imagine you've had COVID and we know COVID is very strongly associated with inflammation. Your body is overwhelmed by inflammation. The reason it becomes very inflamed is because all the genes that drive inflammation are switched up. Imagine you walk into your house and all the lights are on. So we want to choose some foods and some behaviors that will turn down those genes, switch them off. And we talk about things like omega-3s from fatty fish, the oily fish. We talk about certain seeds and nuts that can help us. So we can use nutrition to switch off genes that are damaging our body. And when you can use nutrition to switch on genes that will heal our body. And is that what we, I have a little bit of a tricky time remembering the difference between nutrigenetics and, and nutrigenomics. then nutrigenomics. Yeah. You know, it, it, I mean, I'll tell you the difference, but it, but I always think insight and action. So nutrigenetics, genetics, when it's got the G E N E T S it is always about the code. It's about the sequence. And genomics is always about gene expression. So I tend to prefer insight and action. Insight is the gene, the genes I have in my body, what I inherited. Action is gene expression. Perfect. That's so helpful to understand. I was listening to a lecture from you at a, at a certain point, and you mentioned this concept or th this term, translational nutrigenomics, how we take the science, the academia, and actually translate it to people, which I sometimes feel is such an overlooked thing in the field of research. Like we get all of this research, which is so important and so incredible, but then how do we actually put that on people, right? You know, we could say intermittent is intermittent fasting is wonderful for all of these different reasons. The research says it's yeah. so, and yet we could have people who practice intermittent fasting and completely come undone, right? Absolutely. It's not, it's not just taking research and say, say, saying like, this is the law, this applies to everybody, but how do we get this really important information and kind of put it on top of population? So I love that you brought that up because I think it's so important. Can you talk a little bit around that? And this might be where some of your testing comes into play. Yeah. So first of all, the one thing to understand is there is no one thing that suits everyone. And, and so you know, what happens every couple of years is we get a new diet fad. So, you know, a fasting mimicking diet, paleo, ketogenic, and then everyone is doing it. But the reality is, remember, we're 99.9% .9 the same, but we're 0.1% different. And that 0.1 is significant, which means that not everything is the same for everyone. And that is the, that is the true potential of genetics is how do I find out what is right for me? And that's where genetic tests happen. So I'll talk a little bit about, um, about what you get out of our genetic test. But you're 100% right about translational nutrigenomics. So when I had a look at all the genetic tests that have been built over the last couple of decades, 
everyone looked more or less the same. You know, it was a PDF and it had a table in and it had some results in. But when I looked at the report, I had no idea what to do with that information. Even me, I had no idea. I always say, if you don't know what to do when you wake up in the morning, if you don't want what to eat for breakfast based on that report, then the report has failed you. So what's happened in genetics is we've been selling data. And it looks fancy and it sounds really clever, but it's actually data. And, and data is just data without translation. So one of the areas in genetics that we've really failed horribly at is how do we translate this data into something that a practitioner can really use to be able to personalize your diet and lifestyle recommendations to really impact your health. And so a lot of the work has been, especially in our last five, six years, is trying to say, and it helped coming from being a clinician first and then studying genetics and saying, I always want to think like, how is this information going to change my decision making? Because if I was going to plan to do this with my patient and I did a genetic test and I got this amazing information, I might do something different. So an example, let's talk, can I talk about weight? Just, it's such a great example. Do you think people would be interested in that, though? Oh, I don't know. I don't think anyone's interested in it. Like, who cares, right? So there was, this, there was this amazing study that was done in Japan. And what they did was they took a bunch of Japanese men who, had, who were overweight, not obese, overweight, um, and um, eating a little bit too much, but not much. And they put them on the same diet plan, same calories, and they had to do, like, 20,000 steps a day of exercise, which is a lot of training, right? And they put them onto a diet plan and they put them on this diet plan, exercise plan for 24 months, so two years. Now you would expect that at two years, first of all, if it was America or my country, you would expect mostly everyone had dropped out, but it was Japan. And in Japan, when they tell you to exercise 20,000 steps for two years, that's what you do. But it was absolutely brilliant because what they did was they went back and they looked at their weight loss. And they found that there were four different groups in the way they had weight loss, uh, lost weight, sorry. So in one group, the first group, they had really successful weight loss. They lost weight in the first six months and they kept it off. And at the end of 24 months, they had still kept the weight off. And that in everyone's definition is, is a successful weight loss, right? In the second group, they lost weight really, really slowly. So at the six month mark, where the other group had lost like all their weight, the second group was like really losing a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But at 24 months, they had actually reached the same point as the other group. They just took a lot longer to get there. Okay. Then there was a third group, which we called the rebound group. So at six months, they lost the weight. But over 18 months, it bounced right back and plus. Okay. And in the final group, they lost no weight at all. Now, the thing to keep in mind is that it didn't matter what group they were in. They were all eating the same calories and they were all exercising 20,000 steps. So the group that rebounded was still on a diet plan and exercising. The group that didn't lose any weight over 24 months was on a restricted calorie intake and was exercising 20,000 a day. So how is it possible that reducing calories and increasing calorie expenditure and you could get such a different response to it? Okay. And that says everything about my first profession, which was dietetics. 
that when I studied dietetics, and I'm sure Erin, you will appreciate this, right? I was taught if you just decrease the calories and you just increase energy, you will lose weight. Correct. And does that work? If it worked, we would have a lot of people running around in their quote-unquote ideal bodies. Exactly. And has that been successful? Not at all. Not at all. Hey, let's take a quick break so we can talk about low sugar nutrition. I'm always looking for kind of quick and dirty ways to pack in extra nutrition, polyphenols, antioxidants, fibers for my gut, and even herbs for my stress response, like the more adaptogens, the better, which is why I use Organifi powders every day, several times a day. I love to put them into my water. This is great if you're one of those people that struggles to just get enough hydration, get enough water. And if you feel like water's really boring, these powders can zhuzh it up for you. My kiddo loves them. She feels like she's drinking juice. I also throw them into my smoothies just as a way to get some extra nutrition. My personal favorite is the red juice. So it has lots of different red powders Things like acai, cranberry, pomegranate, strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, all of those polyphenol-rich red and blue powders. And if you've listened to the show or you've seen me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about the benefits of these powders. They feed a very unique and particular type of bacteria in your gut called Acromantia. Acromantia is a keystone player. It's wicked important for keeping your gut healthy and strong. It prevents leaky gut. It also is very important for metabolic health and insulin signaling and controlling blood sugar. Now, unfortunately, I do a lot of stool tests on people and see that acromantia is low, sometimes even below detectable limits. That's a real bummer. Some of the bacteria in our guts are little piggies. They'll eat anything. And then some bacteria are more like snobby foodies that will only eat specific things. This acromantia bacteria loves to eat red polyphenols. So the more red foods you can eat, the better. And getting red powders is super important as well. So the red juice is something that you can grab super easy and it's low sugar. All of Organifi's powders are under three grams of sugar per serving. And most of them offer up fiber as well to counteract any spike in blood sugar. So highly recommend, I throw them in my smoothie so I can pack in a bunch of veggies without adding a ton of fruit that might spike my blood sugar. And I can still make them sweet and palatable. Go to Organifi's website, Organifi.com. You can click the link in the show notes. Be sure to use the code FUNK. It will save you 20% off of every single order you ever place. You get a good deal and you get to support all the good things in your body too. So why genetics is so amazing is it started giving us insight into these four groups of Japanese men. Why for some of us, is it so easy to gain weight? You know, there is joke, I just look at food and I gain weight. And so difficult to lose weight. What are the things that are happening in our brain and our body that are changing how we respond to calories and how we burn up calories? And there's three different things that you need to think about. So the first thing is how genetics influences how we consume energy or calories. So people always think, oh, 
everyone is hungry like I'm hungry. So if all of us don't eat for 24 hours and we all go to a buffet, we will all be equally hungry. Not true. We all experience hunger in a completely different way. For some people, they have a very extreme high hunger and for other ones, a low one. The other thing we experience is if we do go to the buffet table and we all put a burger and, and, and fries on our plate and we eat it, some of us will go, oh, that was great. I feel full now. I'm satiated. And someone else will go, actually, I need three more burgers to feel the way you feel. So we, we feel hunger differently. We feel appetite. And yet we're very judgmental around what is a portion size for an individual. So we'll often do it with our kids and say, you know, I can't believe you want seconds. Like that was such a huge portion. Well, in my family, we do that. I have really big eating children. And they'll say, but I was hungry. And you're like, you can't be hungry. So the first thing is understanding that everyone experiences hunger and appetite differently. Everyone is also driven to eat differently. So some of us have issues around what they call locus of control, that if we go to a buffet, it's very hard not to go back for the second and the third plate. It is brain chemistry. And the way I was taught as a dietitian is it's greedy, it's lack of self-control, it's low willpower. But the reality is, is that our eating behavior is very driven by our genetics. And they know this because they've done a lot of children's studies. Before we develop comfort eating, before we use food as a psychological crash, children generally don't, and they're seeing this in kids as well. The second thing is how we store energy. So we all eat our burgers. Some of us are really, really good at holding onto those calories and converting them into body fat. Others are really good at saying, you know what, I'll keep a little bit, but I don't really need it. It's a very evolutionary thing. And the last part is how do we burn up energy? And that's both when we sit and still at our desk, but also when we're exercising. So all those things I just told you, each one of those things is driven by our genes. And each one of them will determine how easy it is for you to gain weight and how easy it is for lose weight or not. So what it made me realize that as a dietetic profession, we had failed people so badly by not really hearing them or understanding them. And I would often like in my first year of dietetics would be like, well, if you did what I told you and you didn't lose weight, you must be lying to me. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about? I do. So genetics for me, when and, and my PhD was actually on obesity and genetics, was like the greatest awakening of all time going, you know, we, we really have created this terrible couple of decades of failure for individuals thinking that they failed, but actually we were failing. So I love genetics with weight management because it makes people understand where are those trigger points? What is driving them? And it doesn't mean that if genetically you're more susceptible to gain weight, it doesn't mean like, oh, go home, eat whatever you want, you know, we're done here. It's enabling the practitioner to really focus on the areas which are going to make the greatest difference. And I, it also reduces some of the shame associated totally. with all of this. We totally. can stop saying, this is my fault. I'm lazy. I'm, I'm greedy. Yeah. Right. Totally. Absolutely. Totally. And, and I've had patients in my, so I ran a clinic, a nutrigermis clinic for four years where I saw patients for four years and then stopped focused on this. But I used to have patients come in and, we, and they would say like, they always come and they say, I've been dieting my whole life. I've seen a million practitioners. I just can't do this way. Anyway, we do their genetics and it comes back. And it's so obvious to so obvious that they are fighting their genes. Their genes are really wanting to keep weight on their body. Not everyone. 
And when I show them, I have had more people cry at my desk for that reason. Because for the first time in their lives, they are being seen and understood for who they are. No judgment. Oh, I uh, love when testing can provide that yeah. for folks. I really, it's such a, it's such a pivotal moment. So pivotal. And then you can say, okay, now we know what, let's talk about what be a realistic weight for you. Not an ideal body weight, a realistic weight. Let's look at your total health and see what we can do about that. Let's look at some exercise that, you know, that every person who comes away and is like, I, I exercise to burn calories. Imagine being told, you know what, what would you do? What would you choose to do if it wasn't about burning calories? And suddenly the whole world changes for them. So, um, so this is information that we can glean through genetic testing. And I know that we don't have time for you to go into all of the insights that we could get. But so we just talked a lot about weight and how we interact with energy, how we store it, how we release it. Other, other things that people might be able to find out about themselves. So I'll just tell you some of the kind of categories. So, so weight or energy is one of them. The other thing is we want to understand at like a, so we call it upstream. It's a, it's very much part of kind of our fun, functional language is a root cause analysis. We want to know in your absolute core processes in your body, how optimally are you functioning? And those are things like detox and inflammation, oxidative stress, because if you, if you ignore those, if you just focused on like energy pathways and didn't deal with things like inflammation and detox, you would never lose weight anyway. So core processes. And then we focus on, thing, on systems. So systems are things like glucose and insulin. How is genetics impacting that? A mood, you know, anxiety, depression, memory loss, um, brain, you know, kind of cognitive function. We, we, we talk a lot around heart disease, obviously, around blood clotting and and blood vessel health and, and lipid metabolism. Um, so those are just some that I'm like rolling off the tongue. And then we have a whole activity section, which is really about sports performance. But it's, it's as relevant for someone who's on the couch who needs to walk around the block as it is for an elite athlete on the podium, which is where does your potential sit? I'm pretty much sure that everyone knows intrinsically that we are in, inherit an ability to be an athlete of some kind. That for some people who we see, you know, podium at the Olympics, there's no ways they got there just on hard training. They inherited genetics. And genetics in sports performance is extremely powerful. So by doing the test, we, we give you a sense of like, where does your potential set? Should you be aiming for like a 10 kilometer or a marathon? Or are you better going into the gym and using weights? You know, if you are going to do a 10K, like, what is your injury susceptibility like? Are you more likely to get an injury, Achilles or ACL? How much recovery do you need from training? So as a, as a kind of a exercise practitioner, you're now able to find, I always say, if you've only got three hours to train in a week, which the reality of most working parents is that, maximum, what should I do with my three hours? Because I really want to make sure that that three hours is meeting the potential of my body that I'm not forcing my body to do something which is actually against its genes because whenever you do that you're not going to enjoy the exercise and you're not going to get the benefits so that's another thing and then the last thing we we can get from the genetic test is the nutrients so how do I metabolize gluten fatty acids vitamin c folate choline um, iron so all the different nutrients that we work with with our patients how efficient am I at utilizing that vitamin or that mineral or that food caffeine how do i react when i'm drinking caffeine 
So I know we're going through it really quickly, but there's an amazing, remember I started off by saying self-knowledge through insight. All these things, we can imagine understanding all the things about yourself that I've just touched on, but that are specific to you and, and not to your sister, not to your best friend, not to the person at book club, but to you. So I know everyone's going to be wanting to know more about these specific tests and where to get them. And I'm assuming it's not something you can just go and purchase because then you would just be receiving data without (laughs) any utilization, which doesn't really help. I think that's when somebody goes and gets like, you know, just buys online some genetic tests. And they get data. They have have all this raw data or maybe they like put it into, you know, a sort of an analyzation system and then they walk away being like, great, I'm going to have a heart attack tomorrow. Yeah. And I've got (laughs) the MTHFR. Yeah. So, so we didn't just try and build a better test. We try to really build something that as a person, as a practitioner and as a patient, as a client, as a sports person, you can really engage with. So actually our report, and it's a 3x4 genetics report, um, if you, if you can, can get a chance to have a look at, at a sample, which you see, it is full of color. So it's got a whole language of color, but not just color, it's imagery. So every Everything I've spoken about, whether it's glucose, insulin, or detoxification, or hunger, has a picture in the report. And depending on your genetic results, your picture changes. So suddenly you have a story about yourself through imagery, through pictures, and color. So that's the first thing. It's not just another report. The second thing is you cannot buy it without going through a medical practitioner. Dietitian, chiropractor, naturopath, nutritional therapist, medical doctor, but you need to be a practitioner. And practitioners are not allowed to work with our test unless they go through training with us. So they go through an education program, they go through a mentoring program, and when they've done that, they are able to work with our report. Because we want to make sure that when they use our report, they know what to do with it, they know how to explain it, they know how to translate it, and they know how to integrate it into everything else they know about you as an individual. Okay, super helpful. Thank you for all of that. And I, there's so many things I would love to ask you about. I know that you do a lot of talk on brain health, so we might have to have you back on the show to talk about that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, is there anything that you would like, um, like listeners to know as you know, just kind of as like parting words, anything that you would say about genetics that you feel like is misunderstood or misrepresented or you really want people to yeah, understand? Yeah, I, I do. I do. So, um, so the important thing is to realize that even though you will inherit these genes from your family and something that you were being born with, even though the sequence is set in stone, what you do with it is not, right? The true power sits in what you do to change the way those genes are behaving. And that takes me to, to the end of that point, which is people think that when they think about healthy diet and healthy living, they, don't, they think of it as like 2020, my health wasn't great, I didn't make great decisions, I'm gonna do better in 2021. But the reality is, is that every second, every minute of every day, every time you make a decision, you are impacting your genes behavior. So just remember when you wake up in the morning and you're grabbing the phone, and trust me, I grab my phone, so I'm not judging, but it will impact your genes. When you choose a latte versus a cottado, when you choose an almond milk versus an almond milk, when you add sweetener versus every single decision. Now, that might feel overwhelming, but actually it's incredibly exciting because it means that 
at every minute of every day, you have the power to make a really positive decision to impact your genes in a really powerful way. So one thing is what you inherit, but that's just your baseline. That's just the beginning of your story. But your true story is around the decisions that you're making. And every minute of the day, you can change that story. Oh my gosh, that's so that's a really empowering and hopeful message too that we can change this story, we can choose again, we can learn a new way. I mean, even in the um your lecture on brain health, I'll link to that too in case people want to hear you talk about brain because it was so great. Uh, you talked about this this concept of brain self renewal, but you know, we can we can do that on pretty much every level of every our level. body, which is so incredible. Every level, every cell at every minute, we can make, we can do better. You know, people think detoxification only happens in the liver. Detoxification happens in every cell all the time, every day. So, so it just means, you know, don't drive yourself crazy. That this doesn't have to be perfection in decision making. But the great thing is that, as you say, like every time I could make a better decision, it doesn't matter what I did five minutes ago. I actually am going to switch on some really awesome genes and give my body a bit of a break right now. Oh, I love that. I could, I could tear up just thinking about that because that is not the, that's not the message that most of us receive, no. right? It's not, it's not as empowering and hopeful as that. Yeah. Like and people need to hear. Yeah, exactly. You know, right it's now. not about don't do this, don't do eat that. And that's again, my issue around ketogenic, paleo, fasting, you know, it's, it's, it, that structure is actually quite overwhelming. And it's it, what you really just need to be thinking is this minute standing in the queue at the coffee shop, I'm going to make a decision for my genes. Something really positive, not I can't have this, I can't have this, I can't have that. I find that really, really hard, that, that reductionist um, in nutrition. So I really see nutrigenomics or, or genetic nutrition as being a really positive and powerful nutrition. Oh, thank you so much for this conversation, Dr. Jaffe. This was incredible. I know that people will walk away with a lot more information and also hope. So I think this is this is just one of my favorite interviews to date. So I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. And, and thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I would happily come back. We could talk more <laughs> because so many topics we could talk about. But thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.